Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. During some sermons, the, the pastor, Pastor Jeff Kenny, what he did was he stopped the comp, his sermon and had the whole congregation pray for my daughter's healing. And literally three weeks later, the doctors found her clean, clean liver tissue. It was, it, it, there was no tumors left. And at that, that was the point that I knew that there was a true God and, and he's a loving God. But prior to that, Norm Welsh had absolutely no faith. He worked as a law enforcement officer for over 25 years, 16 of those as an undercover narcotic agent. In 1998, he was diagnosed with an incurable neuromuscular disease, and after more than 30 surgeries, he became addicted to opioids. At the same time, he was diagnosed with PTSD, and then his daughter was diagnosed with a serious illness and given a poor prognosis. In a downward spiral, he made a series of bad decisions that landed him in federal prison. But while he was in jail, he obtained a master's degree in theology and counseling, a doctorate in Christian counseling, and a drug and alcohol counseling degree. Now he is working to help others out there going through similar situations. He's going to share his powerful testimony with us today on Connections. Norm Walsh joins us today. He is a former police officer that at one point during his career landed in federal prison, but it's thanks to that experience that he was able to find God. You were involved in law enforcement for over 25 years. How did this career field start for you? What drew you to this career? Because you grew up in a home where uh, law enforcement wasn't something that was in the household. So tell us a little bit about how that all came to be. Correct. Yeah, my dad owned an auto repair shop, and I pretty much grew up working on cars. And and I loved working on cars, and I started racing cars. But somehow inside, there was something missing, right? I felt it wasn't for me. And one night when I was, I think it was 21, I went on a police ride-along with the local police department, and I loved it. I I think I found my calling, and um, I started to work towards that. And I sent myself to the police academy. And um, ended up being a reserve officer, which is an officer that volunteers their services under the direction of a real officer. And I just, I loved it, you know. And um, after working as a reserve officer for a while, I started applying to um, full-time police officer positions and I ended up getting one. What was it about law enforcement that really drew you in when you were like, I found my calling? I don't know. I think it was helping people. I know that's kind of a saying that we all say, oh, I love to help people. But I I think it was truly that way because most of the calls in the small city that I grew up in were of of helping. And, you know, there wasn't much violence back then. This was in the early 80s, you know, so there wasn't much going on. And I, I really enjoyed it. What was it like over the years, though, as your career progressed and uh, what was the reality of being a police officer? What are some of the, the things that you experienced? Well, see, these are the things that they never tell you about in the brochure, right? My I, my dad was a, a military guy, so he taught me at a very early age, never show emotions. You just don't let your emotions out. You're a man. Buck up and, and do what you got to do. And that was pretty much the same in the police academy. So... I was working about maybe three or four months and in the neighboring city is a shopping center and the shopping center is a very short distance from a private airport. So on December 23rd in the evening or some late afternoon, the, this airplane was trying to land and the pilot had some kind of medical issue 
and it crashed right into the mall. And it was literally less than 50 yards from where Santa was sitting with, you know, the kids. And when I got there, it was a, a war scene. I mean, there was 14 dead, 88 injured, uh, a fire inside the mall because of the plane. They don't teach you this. They, they don't say, hey, this is, this is going to happen. You're going to see dead bodies. You're going to see the worst of the worst. The, you know, the being able to understand how people can hurt each other so much. It's just, it, it, there's nothing taught like that. You know, they have a three hour block in the uh, police academy that says, well, you eat good and exercise and get sleep and you, you know, there'll be no stress. Well, <laughs> I wish they would have said, Hey, you know, this is what's going to happen. But you know, for some reason, I think it's because of my dad. I was good at it. I was good at pushing down those emotions. I was good at um, just, just holding everything in. And that was pretty much a death blow to my career in later years. It's interesting when you say that at the end of the day, we, we forget that police officers and frontline workers are human. Most of the time we're like, Oh, they're these superheroes, you know, that are, have this power to be able to get rid of these emotions. But really that that's not the case. Tell us a little bit more about how that affected you. Oh yeah. You know, it, it's it's very difficult to handle a, a death of a child, for instance. So there was a couple times in my career where I had a SIDS, SIDS death, which is sudden infant death syndrome, where a baby dies in, in the crib. And then I had a couple of um, uh, drowning deaths of toddlers. So you, you go to these calls and the mother's holding the child and the child's obviously dead. And you, you don't, you... <laughs> I can't even without, I'm going to tear up now, but it's very difficult. And then go home to your, I have, I had two girls at that time, little girls and your wife and pretend that everything's all right. You know, I spent many nights downstairs while everybody was sleeping, crying, you know, it's because you don't want to show these emotions. And again, that, that was another thing that I did that really, um, caused me to go go down the slippery slope was holding everything in and and not talking you you have a book out on helping people heal from trauma and specifically christ-centered healing at trauma now we've heard about the trauma that you experienced in the line of duty uh, and you mentioned the slippery slope uh tell us what led you or where you ended up i guess as you went down this slippery slope you ended up in a place most police officers probably don't want to be. That's right, but a lot are, are are close to it. I should say I didn't do what didn't do everything that I did. But what happened in 1998 was I was diagnosed with this incurable neuromuscular disease. It's neuropathy, which I'm not a diabetic, but it's it's neuropathy where you lose all the feeling in your feet and hands, and another disease called Charcot-Marie Tooth disease, which loses the muscle mass in your hands and your feet. Well, I, I started going through this series of getting blisters on the bottom of your feet. And as a matter of fact, I got a cast on right now. I, I have another ulcer on the bottom of my foot. And pretty soon they had to do surgeries because these, these bones were, were just growing funny and causing the bones to pop through my skin. And I went through about 30 surgeries in 10 years. <clears throat> and after each surgery, they just give you handfuls of um, Percocet, Vicodin, Oxy, and, and I'm not trying to blame the doctors here because the doctors do have a responsibility to prevent pain. However, 
I use them not as for, for the pain of the surgery. I felt that it was helping my anxiety attacks and panic attacks. It was kind of leveling out my emotions. In other words, I was just numbing my emotions. That's all I was doing. And I think that's where a lot of officers are is they numb their emotions. Um, I know several that um, have alcohol problems, uh, pill problems, and nothing in the illegal drug area, but into these legal ways of numbing. You eventually ended up in prison. How did you end up there? Well, so I was already now addicted to these these medications, these um, opioids. And then my daughter in um, uh, 20, no, 2010 was diagnosed with a um, liver tumors on her liver. She was about 24 at the time, but she was my baby, you know, and they told us that her surgery to, to take, remove those tumors is going to be a 50% survival of the surgery. And then that was the last straw. I, I just went off the deep end there. A week later, I attempted suicide. Another week later, I attempted suicide. But I believe that God was there preventing me from completing the suicides. And when you're just emotionally unavailable, you, you're, you're addicted to, to the, the drugs, you just make really poor decisions. And um, somehow an acquaintance of mine convinced me that it was okay to steal a pound of methamphetamine out of the evidence locker and give it to him to sell. I was arrested the next day because he sold it to an informant that next day. So and that, there's no excuse for that. <clears throat> I am not blaming the drugs. I'm not blaming anything. It is, that was my decision to do. And I, I just I just screwed up. It's just, you know, the, when you're in a bad situation like that, you just make stupid decisions. You served eight years of 14-year sentence. And while you were in prison, though, something awesome did take place. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, actually, it was when I was out on bail. I was out on bail for two years. And um, God came, you know, it's, it was incredible. I mean, I'll make the long story short, but one night a pastor called me. I never, didn't know him. He had got my number and he basically was inviting me to the church. At that time, I did not believe in God. Um, I, I guess I was an agnostic, which is basically, I don't know if there is anything up there or not, but he ended up uh, inviting me to the church. I was trying to blow him off because, you know, I, I don't believe in God. And and like most officers and like a lot of people, once you see the destruction and you wonder, hey, how can there be a loving God with all this stuff going on? Anyway, when I was, he said, okay, well, can I pray for you? And I said, sure. And he prayed the sinner's prayer. And I didn't even know what it was. But at the end, he said, you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I really was just appeasing him. And I said, yeah. So I I, I went back and sat with my wife and I felt something that was just is incredible. I just felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. And she said she'd been um, a Catholic all her life. So she um, said, hey, why don't we just why don't we go to church? Maybe it's God that's missing out of our lives. And we went and my life was changed. You know, um, then during some sermons, the, the pastor, Pastor Jeff Kenny, what he did was he stopped the comp, his sermon and had the whole congregation pray for my daughter's healing. And literally three weeks later, the doctors found clean, clean liver tissue. It was, there was no tumors left. And at that, that was the point that I knew that there was a true God and and he's a loving God. So when I got sent to prison, 
they ended up sending me to Fort Worth, Texas, and I live in San Francisco area. I was angry. I was like, wow, I'm far away from my family. They're not going to be able to visit. We don't have the money for this. But you know, God had a plan, and he introduced me to um, the seminary, which actually came into the prison. And so I ended up taking classes. I ended up getting my master's degree in theology with an emphasis on counseling. And then I went further and got my doctorate in Christian counseling. And I met people there that um, were just sent by God and taught me how to look at the Bible differently. And and it was just, it, it was crazy. And this one gentleman helped me. He was an ex-LA police officer. He helped me with prayer and he helped show me, you know, repentance and confession. And this whole time since my arrest, I've been going to psychologists and psychiatrists. And really, they taught me how to cope with the PTSD, but they never taught me how to heal or, or never brought healing. And I'm not saying that psychiatrists and psychologists are, are not necessary. They saved my life, but I never experienced healing. And even when I was in prison, I went to a psychologist. And then after we prayed, after we did, did all, the, all these steps of confession repentance that I lay out in the book, I haven't had a PTSD symptom now for about 11 years. I mean, it's just awesome. That's absolutely amazing. Now, you mentioned looking at things differently. I want to backtrack a little bit. We didn't mention the fact that years while you were in law enforcement, you worked as a narcotic agent. So you were dealing with people that dealt with addictions and whatnot. Looking back now, do you look at people that you arrested and think differently about them? Yes, I do. You're in my mind. I sure do. You know, I'm an addiction counselor right now. I work at a men's residential facility. And I'm also a chaplain. And the fault of the criminal justice system is they do not look into why somebody does the things they do, right? I mean, I believe that there were mitigating factors in, in my crimes, but th- that was never a part of it, right? Mental illness was never a part of it. Drug addiction was never a part of it. So when I look back now on people that I've arrested and I think, wow, maybe it would have served this person better to to take him to rehab, right? I I learned there's reasons why the people did, and it comes from mental illness. It comes from childhood abuse. It comes from traumatic events that that happened. They're just doing the same thing I did. And I thought I was better than everybody else because, you know, I, I was a cop. And But everybody is on that line. If you've suffered any trauma in your past history, it's going to affect your adulthood. And that's why I wrote the book. I initially started to do it for cops, but then I thought, wait, wait a minute. You know, everybody's broken. Everybody needs help. So you're exactly right. I would have done everything. I'm sorry. I would have done a lot of things different if I would have known what I know now. You mentioned the book. It's called Christ-Centered Healing of Trauma, Healing a Broken Heart. Tell us a little bit about how it came to be. Was it, did it just start as a dream? or no, no, I think God put it on my heart. So after I was healed, I was still I was working in the chapel, chapel at um, uh, Fort Worth, Texas. And then later on, they transferred me to Lompoc, which is down near Santa Barbara area. And I helped counsel people. You know, the prison system does not do a really good job in taking care of of the mentally ill in there. And so informally, guys would just talk talk to me, and and I, I think I'm easy to talk to. So they approach me. But the more I worked with with people, the more I thought, you know, if you just go through this process that I did, it it'll only take a while. And if you 
earnestly try and, and your heart is in the right place, you really want to stop, you can heal from these traumas, right? And so then I thought, okay, well, there's so many cops that are broken. I'm going to write this for cops. But then the more I spoke to, to these prison inmates and learned about their past history and how sad a lot of these guys grew up, they had no chance, right? So that's why I, I wrote the book. It's it's a long book, and I'm sorry about that, but I wanted to have one book where it's just comprehensive. Everything's in there from a Bible study to why we should believe in God, you know, what emotions are, what are they for, why, why are they designed by God? Prayers are in there. My story's in there. And um, I, I think that if somebody really wants to heal and they do the hard work, it's not easy. But if you do the hard work, you will heal from your past traumas. You mentioned having kind of everything in this book. That includes a companion small group study guide. Why did you decide something like having small group studies together was important in this? Because especially for guys, right, it's hard for us to talk to others. Yeah. You know, I just started a small group in my church and there's only one guy. There's there's seven women and one guy and he, he's a combat veteran. Men don't really want to ask for help, you know, and this is a, a real problem. There's a stigma around mental illness and, and men just don't want to ask. And, and that's why I, I didn't ask for help. I mean, a lot of people approach me and say, hey, why don't you just tell your boss that, you know, you need some time off or, you know, you need to see a psychiatrist? Well, if I would have told that to my boss, he would have sent me to a psychiatrist, no problem. And the, the, the government would have paid for it. But the first time I said, yeah, you know, a few nights ago, I put this gun in my mouth and I was going to commit suicide. That's the uh, just a death blow to your career, right? Because rumors go around, he, okay, he, why isn't he on duty? Why did they take his badge? Why did they take his gun? You know, and then no one will ever trust you in law enforcement or the first responder community again. So I, I believe this book, you can do it by yourself. I mean, it would help if you had somebody trusted that you could go through it with. But I believe that if you really put in the time, you could do it. And the small group guide, that's this is what God set us for is small groups, community, right? We're supposed to be in community. And I believe that when we open up to each other, just like small groups, AA, NA, that this is where we begin the healing process is when we open up and we actually process the things that happen to us. What has the response been like from those who have had the opportunity to pick up this book? I've had quite a few people that just loved it and they're on their way to healing. It's just come out uh, about three months ago. So I haven't heard the results of somebody who finally read it. But from those that have begun to read it, went halfway through, they, they like it. Again, if it's only going to work if you want it to, to work. you got to put in the hard work. you got to look at your life from an um, evaluation perspective, right? you got to say, okay, I did this wrong. I did this wrong. I need to, to apologize to so-and-so. I need to ask for apologies from so-and-so. You know, if, if you don't forgive your offender with your heart, you, you're never going to be able to heal, right? If we hold those resentments in. So it's very, very difficult to move forward unless you're really honest with yourself and you really face your demons. Um, you know, a great book for people to find healing, but it really sounds like to me a great book for others to pick up that are close to people who have experienced trauma, right? Um, what are some of the things maybe really quickly, just top one or two things 
that um, that we need to understand when we're living life with somebody else who's gone through a lot of trauma? What are some of the top pieces of advice you'd have for us? Well, my wife noticed a huge difference in my personality, in my character. She saw me depressed. She saw me isolate. She saw me withdraw from, from everything that I always liked. So if you have a loved one that is doing those things, isolating, um, not no longer going to family things, um, you know, parties and, and birthdays, say something, you know, she, she told me many times, Hey, Norm, I see these changes in you. You have to go get help. But of course, Hey, I'm a cop. I, I'm, I'm a strong guy. I don't, I don't need anything. Listen, if, if I need help, I'll ask you, you know, I mean, we, cause we get defensive. So, talk, talk to them. And then if you can't get through to them, maybe a, a good friend of theirs can get, get through to them. Someone has to say something. Cause there was a couple of police friends of mine that, that later said, Hey, I, I saw these changes in you, but I was a, I was a kind of afraid to say anything. And then as, as a person that has suffered trauma, you know, you, you've, you've got to ask for help. It, there's nothing wrong with asking for help. It's not a sign of weakness. It's, and then for first responders, especially to to have friends out of the first responder community, right? <clears throat> Pretty soon I isolated myself with only cop friends. And then it's just like the the uh, political atmosphere right now. If you only are, or if you're tribal with only this one group, you're going to get angry. It's going to be us versus them. And it's only going to fuel that fire. Yeah. So those are the couple things that I would suggest to anybody. But the number one Thing that will help you heal is spirituality no matter if it's the christian god or or any other religion having spirituality is going to help give you the strength to heal yeah you mentioned like it's not a sign of weakness asking for help in fact i would say it's probably the strongest thing you can do because it's so difficult to do it takes a lot of bravery to ask for help right so you're strong in asking for help aren't you Oh, yes. It, it takes a lot of strength to ask for help. It takes a lot of strength to open up about what you're feeling. And um, these guys in treatment, <clears throat> the ones that really work on it, I, I look up to them because it is very difficult to do. But you're exactly right. There's no stigma. There's no stigma about taking medications. If you need an antidepressant or anti-anxiety pill, hey, take it until you can heal. I mean, anything that helps you and prevents you from making the mistakes that I did is going to, to help you get through life. I wish I would have done it. I wish someone would have told me about it a long time ago. Tell us where we can find Christ-centered healing of trauma and where we can find you online and stay up to date with what you're up to. Okay, my website is www.christ-centeredhealing.com. And then you can buy the book at christcenteredhealingbook.com. And my uh, Facebook, of course, Christ-Centered Healing. And I'm going to put it out there to any people that need help and, and, and want a little direction to go ahead and email me through that website or Facebook. And I'll, I'll help however I can because this is something that we really need to heal from. And you're living proof that this can happen. It does take time, but things can turn around. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we really appreciate you you, uh, opening up and sharing your story with us. Uh, You know, I, I really hope that 
even if it touches one person to go, wow, I, you know, I see those things in my life. I, I need to really change. I don't even care if they buy a book or not. It, the book is not the big thing. It's the, the healing because this set back, you know, uh, 12 years of my life, you know, and just stupid, just stupid. I mean, really, instead of just facing it, <laughs> going down that that hole with, with, with the pills is just craziness. So if I could help one person, it'd be all be worth it. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, you're welcome. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.